get into the word now. And as you know, Bible students, Paul has been speaking to the church. He's writing specifically to the church. He's, listen, he's not writing to the non-church, okay? He does that. But now he's addressing the church, those who are in. As a matter of fact, you need to believe this and understand something. There are only two people groups in the world right now, only. You guys ready for them? Only two people groups in the entire world. Here they are. There are saints, and there are ain'ts. You know, I shouldn't say that. But there are saints, those who are in, and there are ain'ts those who are not in. That's the only two groups. And so when Paul tells us what he's going to tell us tonight, he's talking to saints. He's ta- now, we talked about this in January. How do you become a saint? Did you know that there's actually certain denominations and veins of the church that have a whole list, 10 whole steps you have to go through to become a saint? One of the big steps to becoming a saint is you actually have to be dead. Okay, I don't know, that sounds kind of risky to me. I'd rather be a saint before I die. And I say, here's the deal. You know how you become a saint? This is the best news you'll hear all night. Here's how you become a saint. You do a three-step dance. You come to the realization that you can't. Okay? You just, I just can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I tried, but I can't. You come to that realization. Then the next realization is, is, but he can. He can. He can. My Savior can. I can't, but he can. Third realization, I think I'll let him. I think, I, I, I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. Boom! Instant sainthood. Because you tapped out, and you looked up, and you linked in. It's, the, it's not about you. Sainthood isn't given based on your or my performance. Oh, that's good news. Sainthood, though, is given based on your humility to realize you can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. But I know one who can, and I think I'll trust in him. I'll let him. And you find yourself then born again, saved. The Bible says that you become born again. You have a new identity upon that revelation. Where it's not about you, it's about him, and you believe it, all of a sudden, all things are made new. And when all things become made new, all of a sudden, then, and only then, does your activity become new, the way you walk. Only when you're born again, and you're new from the inside out, does God then instruct you to walk differently. So he's telling us how to walk now in Ephesians 5. He's saying, here's what you do. Do these things. But if you try and do these things before you're alive in Christ before you're awake, one of two realities will be yours. One will be you'll try super hard and fail miserably and be ultra depressed because you couldn't do it. Or the other person, you'll actually try and do things and actually achieve it some more so than others and find yourself a Pharisee and find yourself prideful and still separated from God either way. He says, no, no, no. I want you to walk for me, but not until you sit with me, not until you let me regenerate your spirit. And once that happens, then you can read chapters four, five, and six. You can say, okay, what do you want from me now? How's this to look? Because with that new identity comes a new activity. A new activity will ultimately lead to a new destiny. And I'm just so stoked that God changes us from the inside out in order to do crazy stuff. You guys remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus, man, he was so righteous and so religious. And Jesus just looked at him and said, you need an identity change. You need to be born again. You're, 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 to- you're not even there. You're not- he was the most righteous person around. And Jesus is like, yeah, can't even look at you. You're not going to heaven until something happens from within. Now, when he got born again, changed, finally, because Nicodemus did, he began to do crazy stuff. You know what I'm saying? Crazy stuff. Nicodemus was the guy who went to the cross after Christ was dead, him and Joe of Arimathea, okay, risked it all and asked for the high priest and asked for the, the commander there, can we take this body down and bury it? What? This criminal? This guy, you want to associate with him and something had changed so deep within. Listen, his activity was to associate with the Savior. This is so legit. Because there's some Christians here tonight, right? There's people, there's saints and saints here. I, I imagine there's people who are just checking out. I go, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. You know, I wonder, I wonder. And you're just kind of checking it out. Who is this Jesus guy? And I'm pretty good at what I do, Pastor Luke. You don't know me. You know, I'm like, that's okay. I see your Facebook. I know you. You know, you need Jesus still. And when you realize that, God begins to take you right where you're at. And he loves you so much. But he says, I'm going to take you right where you're at because I love you so much. But I'm going to change you and I'm going to give you a new pattern of life. I love you just the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. And if you've ever seen this happen, man, it's so awesome when people begin to walk differently after they meet Jesus. Uh, Just on Friday, I got to baptize Cameron. He's in the back there with SBC hoodie on. And and Cameron's recently just kind of coming back to the Lord. He's a young man. He's just finding out, I can't. 
he can, I think I'll let him. And he's saved by grace. And so he went to the Alsea River, mile marker 15, with me and my kids and his family was there and dunked him in the name of the Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Holy Ghost. And I was so excited for him because I said, this is your celebrated identity. You're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's what you're identifying with. And what we're even more excited about is the new activity that God has planned for him. A whole different angle, a whole different thread, a whole different purpose. So too for you and for me. Tonight, I'm hoping God calls some people out. I really do. There's, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. God's going to get a hold of you and lead you into some sort of new activity because of that new identity. And, and God does this. I remember a few years ago, we were cleaning the church here, and a family showed up to help clean the church. And one of the people in that family had just recently gotten saved and just recently given their lives to the Lord. And it was kind of, kind of rough on the outside looking in, and you just wonder, is there really a change? And this guy was kind of even hard to look at, kind of scared me to make eye contact with him. His name, I don't want to embarrass him. His name is Carlos Villarreal. Oh, wait, he's right here in the front row. And when I saw Carlos, man, please, God, and Carlos... Carlos, you know, scared me when I first met him, you know, he's got this, you know, kind of hat bill and the tats, you know, and vato, you know, kind of tough. I'm serious. But then you see the change that God's done in his heart, okay, a new identity. And all of a sudden, here's, here's what I remember. I remember all the chairs were stacked up one night. I remember we were just cleaning and sweeping. I remember him coming here with his broom and sweeping the whole place and just mopping the whole place and just sweat pouring down. Like, what do I do to help? And I'm just thinking... I know men, I know women too, and I know we don't just normally seek to serve other people. Before we know Christ, we're two-dimensional. We're body and mind. We're always just into ourselves. Our, our spirits are dead. When you become born again, you're body, mind, and spirit. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, there's more to life than me. There's more to life than this. And you begin to then grow, and you want to help, and you want to serve, and you want to give. Who shows up out of their own free will to a warehouse like this and says, give me a broom? Give me a mop. Let me do something for Christ. Listen, there's plenty and lots and hundreds and dozens of volunteers, even here tonight, that you have been changed inside by Jesus Christ, and now it's seen outside in the way you live, the cool things you do, the bad things you don't do, and the way you're progressing. Aren't you just so excited that Jesus is so patient with you and patient with me, and he takes us all at different levels? All at different levels. There are some entry-level Christians here tonight. You know what I mean? <laughs> I shouldn't tell you, and I won't tell you a story about one guy I prayed for today after the second service. You know, I'm entry-level Christian. Let me tell you what. And God loves you right where you're at, and he leads you succinctly, patiently, and lovingly, and thoroughly. I was at the Oregon Duck football game last night. And uh, it was fun watching, I love watching college football because there's no money involved, really. They're not getting paid, at least not yet. They have to work super hard to get that paycheck if they go to the NFL. So there's kind of an authenticity and a rawness and a, a, a purity, if you would. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to justify the sport, you know it. But there's something awesome about it, you know. And there's different levels of football. You realize that, right? It starts all the way down with peewee, you know, just the little guys that can barely even stand. They put a helmet on, you know, and they fall over. You're like, that was awesome, you know. And it goes up to Pop Warner, and then it goes up to middle school, and then it goes up to freshman football, and then it goes from freshman to JV football, and then JV to varsity football. You ever played varsity football? I did. It's scary. Scary. These kids are hitting hard. I'm like, whoa. Only 2% of varsity football players will then go on to play college ball. Okay, 2%. Just college ball. There's D3 college, D2 college, D1 college. There's all kinds of different packs and different networks and all the rest. And then you can go to the NFL. There's all different levels. You can even make it to the NFL. And even the NFL is broken up in different levels of play, isn't there? There's like the worst teams of all, the very bottom teams, like the Patriots. And like... <laughs> The Cowboys are down there, you know, just those two teams. And everyone gets better after that. You guys know. You guys are pros. And I got a point, trust me. I remember, though, my first practice ever in my life as a football player, tackle football, sixth grade, for, for the white team. We had colored teams, orange and white, and there was brown and blue. And we had, my team was the white team. We had white jerseys with red letters, or red, letters or numbers. Let's call it numbers tonight. And it was in Richfield, Minnesota. And I remember I'd missed the first week of practice, okay? So the rest of the team had a week's worth of knowledge under their helmets that I didn't have. I showed up. I'm putting my helmet on backwards, you know, and shoulder pads on my knees. I, I really didn't have any clue. And I wanted to play the sport. And I remember the coach, 
He was helping us do uh, down drills where we know how to go on the same count. So we're all lined up, and on the count of one, we run 10 yards, and we all ran 10 yards and stopped. You know, I'm just trying to figure out what the other kids are doing. Well, he switched up the count on me, and I didn't know what that meant. And so instead of on the count of one, it was like on the count of two. So on the count of one, guess what I do? Running as fast as I can to this line, I'm going to... I'm the only guy out here, you know, and hello, everyone, my first day at practice, you know, and the coach, literally, from me to the sound booth, pretty far, just gives me this, like, dragon look, you know, from a distance, and begins to walk, everyone's waiting, walks the whole way, and he grabs my face mask, and he slowly crawls into my helmet with me, he got inside, fully inside my helmet with me, and taught me all kinds of new words I'd never heard, I'm thinking this is the worst day in my life, and I actually wanted to quit, thought I made a big mistake, I, I, I didn't quit. I continued to play. As a matter of fact, that coach was so hard on us. And so I, one story, one time we were there and the sirens went off for a tornado. Tornado warning if you live in, in um, the Midwest, they happen all the time. Everyone has basements. And so all the parents come flying in to get their kids. Sirens going. And the coach is looking around at the sky. We're good. You know, still running plays. And all the parents are like, what? This is sixth grade. You know, let us take our kids. Anyways, we went on that year. Listen to be the championship team. We won. I scored a couple touchdowns, had the best year of my life playing football, the only real year of my life playing football. We won, though, and I say that to say this. You're on Jesus' team if you're a saint. You're on his team. Different levels. You might not know much about Christianity. You might be entry level. You might be here for the third time today taking notes because you just want to know the next play. You want to know who Jesus is and you want to know. You might be here and you are seasoned and you've been through many seasons, but you're still on the team at different levels. And Jesus looks at you and says, I'm going to coach you. I love you. You're on the team. Stick with me. You're going to make some mistakes. You will go off sides. You're going to throw an interception. You're going to get tackled. It's going to get hurt. Guess, Guess what, though? You're on the winning team. And if you're a Christian here, God would speak to you tonight even and say, hey, let's look at the word and let's get excited because your identity is you're on my team. Your activity is, though, always, always, never to the end, moving forward. There's there's no peak, if you would. There's no plateau, if you would, in the things of God. You can always know more. You can always go deeper. You can always enjoy more of God. That being said, let's look at the what the coach would have for us tonight. Verse 14 says, Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep and and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He's speaking to people who are slumbering, and he's saying, Wake up, which would be this idea of being born again, coming to Jesus, walking in the light. Wake up, and Christ will give you light. And there's a whole new way to now walk in the light. I like this idea of waking up, though. Let me tell you something crazy. Did you know that you don't actually know you're asleep until the moment you wake up? You actually didn't know you were sleeping until, until you're done sleeping. While you're sleeping, you don't know it. You're not aware of it. We are super weird. You do all kinds of crazy. You ever just stared at somebody while they're sleeping? It's just weird because they're there, and you're just kind of, I can do it with my kids all the time. Like, there they are. There they are. Look, honey, it's so peaceful. It's so peaceful. <laughs> they're right there. They're not arguing, and you don't know you're sleeping until you wake up. And so he says, you, got, you don't even know that you're not a Christian until you become a Christian. You didn't know you weren't in until you find out how out you were. And then when you see and know who Jesus is, there's no unseeing and there is no unknowing who Jesus is. When your knower gets turned on, when you realize the good news, when you understand the Savior, when you see the light, oh, doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you won't slumber a time or two, but it does mean you'll never go back. You know the good news. Matter of fact, Psalm 34, 8 says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And when you taste and see who the Lord is, there's no going back. He says, wake up, wake up. Why? So that way, verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. He instructs us as those who are awake now, walking in the light, to be careful how we walk. How many of you guys have a different word than circumspectly in your Bible? Walk carefully. Anybody have carefully in their Bible? Back there, Heidi has that. Anybody? What else? Anybody got anything different than carefully or circumspectly? Very careful. I like your Bible, Jeremy. Walk very careful. This idea of circumspectly is taken from the word circumference, which is 360 degrees. It's just, he says, hey, you're in the light. You're a child of God. You know what I want to say first? Be careful. Be very careful. 
This idea of 360 vision is kind of what you do when you drive. When you're driving, you're looking down the road, you're looking in the rearview mirror, and you're looking at the side mirrors. That's kind of what you do. You just, if you got taught right, that's you just, you're all over the place, checking everything. You can see all around you while you drive. And he's saying as a Christian, you better be careful. Don't walk as unwise, but be wise. Be circumspect. Think about, have you noticed that life's dangerous? Okay, not just on the road, duh. But have you noticed that there are traps laid for you and traps laid for me? When the Bible talks about our enemy, it uses all kinds of interesting adjectives to describe him. It says that he's the father of lies, that he only ever steals, kills, and destroys, that he's the prince of the air, the god of this age, that he wants to take you down. He's, like, he's described as a roaring lion seeking whom he's going to eat. Okay? And so when the Bible says, be careful, it's not just you know poetic words. He's saying, no, no, this is the real deal. But notice what he says. He says, walk circumspectly, just be careful, be very careful. And he says, don't walk as fools, but as wise. Now, let me just clarify here what I believe Paul's getting at. And I, I could be wrong, but this is what I believe he's getting at, because he's already talked about sexual immorality and, and coarse jesting and foolishness and all this other stuff. Now he's just saying, don't be, don't be a fool, be wise, because there are ways that the devil can take you and me down without making us bad, okay? You've heard it said before, if he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Thank you, Nick. I'm going to say it again. <laughs> if he can't make you bad, he's not going to get you all tripped up over here into, into adultery and into stuff and over here coarse jesting. You're the weirdo over here. He's not going to do that. You know what he'll do for you if you're not wise and careful? He'll make you so busy that you have no time okay, to walk with Jesus Christ in the light, to enjoy what he's done in your life. He'll just be so busy all over the place. Hey, I speak as one who knows this. And you might actually even be proud of yourself to one degree or another that you're not dabbling in the sin you've wrestled with in the past. You're not doing all this stuff, but you're so busy. As a matter of fact, has anybody ever said, man, you're so busy, man, you're so busy. And it's kind of like this byword backhanded compliment. Like it's a good thing to be busy. It's not a good thing to be busy. Careful, even if you're doing good stuff. Even worse than being busy doing good stuff is being busy doing dumb stuff, isn't it? Man, we just, we, we're, our culture is really sick. Okay? We don't like to be idle with our time, and so instead we'll fill it very quickly with dumb things. He, he calls the word foolish. He says, be careful. Don't be taken off course with a bunch of foolish stuff. There are two veins that Paul would warn us of. One is sinful things. Okay? Don't do sinful stuff. There's no redemption. There's no value. It's going to hurt you every time. But he says, not just sinful stuff, but just harmful stuff. It's not a sin, but it's not going to take you where you want to go. It's a, it's a poor choice for your life. It's not wise to partake in this activity. It's not wise to give yourself over to this hobby. It's not wise. It might not be a sin. The Bible actually in the book of Hebrews says, lay aside every sin and wait. Not, not just sins. Duh. Yeah, we got to deal with sin. You can't go forward with sin. It's going to kill you. But what about the weights? Just the stuff in life. God says, be careful careful of that because if Satan can't make you bad, he will seek to make you busy and you'll find yourself just doing either things at, uh, in excess or foolish things even in moderation, but they're still not good for you. And I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit speak to you, but I'll give you a few examples so you know what I'm kind of talking about here. I got a Facebook message weeks ago from a, a friend of mine who said, uh, are there any verses that talk about and speak to smoking? Like, just, I wanna, is there anything about smoking? I said, well, not, not specifically and directly in, in, that, in that term, although it does say in the Old Testament that Rachel lit off her camel, which is, means that she got off her camel. It doesn't have anything to do with Anyways, that's the only, and I said this though, I said, the Bible doesn't say that smoking is a sin necessarily, but it does talk about treating your body as a holy temple. It does talk about stewardship over your days and dollars. And there's so many things that would say that while smoking might even not be a sin, it's really unwise. It's just, it's just foolish. It's something that will not be worth it in the long run. And someone would say, well, will smoking send me to hell? And I say, well, not necessarily, but it might get you there faster. You know, it's not, not good for you, you know, and you, you'll smell like you were in hell, you know, and all these problems. And that's just, and all the non-smokers are here like, yeah, preach it, bro. You know, listen, and for the, for the non-smokers, there's all kinds of things that you get involved with. It's just, it's not worth it. It's, it's a poor choice. It, it's a poor identity and activity. And be careful. How many of you guys have found yourself absolutely crippled by at times or drawn to and addicted to technology of all sorts? 
whether it's your phone or your iPad or your laptop or your landline or your games or your apps or your phone or your Roku or your, your stick or your Amazon Prime or your whatever it is, you fill in the blank. You're just, man, I'm just, I just I'm just a technology-driven person. You might say, well, technology's not all bad, but it oftentimes is. You don't even need to raise your hand, but has technology bit you? Have you found yourself just doing stupid stuff because of technology alone? Just be careful, he's saying. You don't throw technology out and get you know, rid of all of your devices and Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts and MySpace accounts and Instagram accounts and all. You, know, you don't need... Be careful, though. Be, be very careful. Have you ever found yourself doing this? I'm just going to read the Bible. Now I'm going to get into the Word. Oh, I just want to do this. And you know what? You know what I do, though? I wonder what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. And you pull your phone out and you, you check the weather, you know. And, and maybe then you're like me and you check the weather like in seven different continents. You know, you're just trying to, I just want to know. I just want to know. And then you're looking at like the 45-day forecast. Like, I just want to know what's happening in Alaska. I'm just curious, you know. And you just waste time. And I have found it is way easier to scroll on my phone and check stuff out. So much easier for me. Pray for me. Maybe I'm the only one. So much easier to do that than to read scripture. It's just easier. I'm just more addicted to it. And I know it's a problem. And I gotta, now what do I do about it? How do I? He says, be careful. Be careful. While it might not be a sin, it's not effective. It's not what you want. It's not, you only live once. You realize that, right? Like we get one go at this. This isn't Super Mario Brothers. Like one go and we're done. And, and, and time is ticking. We're getting older slowly but surely. This service proves it. We're just getting older. And I wanna have this text go through me and I wanna redeem. As a matter of fact, look at the next verse. I think there's a solution here. He says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. To read him in succession, it says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So he says, just be careful. Don't be unwise, but be wise. How do you do that? By redeeming the time. Okay. But what is redeeming the time? To redeem something means to put the value back into. Okay. To get the value out of. To reestablish where the value lies. And right now in your life, based on what you do, will determine what you value. You realize that, don't you? What you value will be exactly what you do, and what you do will determine what you value. Just go ahead. You can do this in your budget. You can go ahead in a month's worth of time. Uh, just go ahead and see what you spend all your money on. And where all the money goes is what you value. It's very simple. You can do the same thing with your minutes that you're given. How much time did I spend on Facebook? How much time did I spend on my garden? How much time did I spend fishing? How much time did I spend quilting? How much time did I spend whatever? You fill in the blank and ask God, is this really... Or... Ask God this question, how can I redeem this? That's what he says to do. He doesn't say to stop doing everything. He says, be careful while you do it. He says, redeem that. Now, there is sinful activities in our life that we're all tempted to do and be a part of. There's no redemption involved. You just got to cut that, stop, repent, move on, be filled with the Holy Spirit and get over it. There are those things that are just arbitrary. They're not sinful. They could be harmful, but bring redemption into that. The other day, I was at CrossFit doing this workout, and it was a 25-minute workout, which was really, really long, and I was just working out sweating, and my number one goal was to beat everyone in the, in the room with me, just beat them, because that's what I do at CrossFit. I want to win, you know, so I, I was accomplishing that, so I'm like, now what do I do? How do I redeem this time that I'm having? I'm, I'm thinking about this verse here, and I was on the floor doing sit-ups, looking at the other 10 athletes. They were just, you know, lifting up weights, and CrossFit's just weird, man. People are just throwing weight around. It's just psycho, and I began to just pray for every one of the athletes. And it was so cool doing stuff, just praying for them. Oh, bless them. I know, what I know how their life looks. And I'm just praying for them and praying that they don't die during this workout primarily. And praying also that they live well after they finish the workout. And I just wanted to redeem it. Just bring the Lord into it. It's not hard. It's not hard to redeem the time. What, what it really takes is, is a soft heart and a willingness just to let God speak to you at any given moment. Okay, that's all. That's all. It doesn't mean you need to put a robe on. And get a Greek manuscript, you know, and, and carry it down through the bayfront and redeem the time, you know, and just speak in, you know, Hebrew dialect. That's not what it means. It means to just be willing to say, okay, Lord, let's have fun. Yesterday I was at the Oregon Duck game, and I had a t-shirt on, a uh, different one than I'm wearing now, but the same script. It said, Jesus is real. Just bold. And the whole time I'm just walking around, I get high fives from people, stares from people and other people. We found other people that had those shirts that got them at, at, at uh, Young Life camps. And we just fellowshiped. It was so fun just to redeem that moment with the other pastors. We just had a good time in the Lord, redeeming it. As a matter of fact, 
I was on a, a cruise a couple weeks ago, and so it's a, we were, my family was gifted this cruise, and so we went to Alaska, and I'm thinking, how am I going to redeem this? So the thoughts were going through my mind, and, and I'm with my wife and my kids. My parents were there, so instant redemption, rest, and awesomeness. But I, want, I, I live for the Lord, and so how's this going to look? And so I remember going up to lift some weights there in the, in the gym there, and I had this beard on my face, and it's kind of noticeable. People see it. And so this one older Jewish lady, she's probably 60 or 70, said, what's up with your beard? You know, it's horrible. You know, and, and her daughter was like, her daughter's like 15. She's like, no, it's not horrible. And I began to talk with them, and they were these Jewish family on their um, holiday. And I began to talk with them. And what do you do for a living? And I told them I'm a pastor. And they had, for the rest of the whole cruise, they had questions. They would flag me down, meet the rest of our family. You know, they just loved talking about the Lord and about God and the New Testament. It was so cool just to redeem it in that way. And another day, I was up there working out again, just kind of being myself. And this guy said, Hey, man, that beard is legit. What do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. No way. You know, I want to talk to you. And the whole time, he's just drawn to conversation. And then it got even, it got so good on day three. Day three, we went to this uh, illusionist kind of show in the big theater. A thousand people were there, and we're sitting there right in the middle, you know, watching this guy. He was really good. He said, I need a volunteer. And so my son Noah's sitting next to me. He grabs my elbow and puts my arm up, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, so this guy's like, all right, you, Beardo, get up here, you know. <laughs> Okay, and I instantly regretted every decision in my life. You know, I'm up on stage, that's making fun of me and making me do stuff. You know, he's a, he's a comedian. But he asked me what I did for a living on stage there. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And the whole crowd, eventually the whole boat, knew, they started cheering and clapping right away that I was a pastor. And the whole rest of the cruise, I was known as Pastor Luke. I got to pray for people and counsel people. Was, the door was so wide open for redemption. It was so legit. One night, actually, my, my, my kids had gone to bed and my wife had gone to bed. And I just kind of wondered what people did in the after hours. And so I went out and walked around just kind of see what happens on this cruise. And I was walking around. It was crazy. It was like, like you would imagine. But I was walking through this one particular corridor. And these, this couple was standing at the bar and they saw me. And they said, Hey, it's Pastor Luke. You know, I'm like, hey, how you doing? And I got a chance to talk with them for about an hour and a half, two hours. They were from Minnesota and on this cruise, and their kids are teenagers, and they're having some real troubles with their kids and their son. I just poured in. I said, man, man up, dude. You got to get there. Don't let your son go. It's don't let Fight hard. Go after his heart. Love him. And I just exhorted him. And it's redeeming the time makes life so fun, okay? Whether it's a duck game or whether it's going to Fred Meyer's whether it's going to the Bayfront or going to work tomorrow, all you got to do is have a humble heart and a submissive attitude and a willingness to do whatever Jesus says. You don't need to fabricate stuff and make stuff up. You don't need to be all aggressive. That's not redeeming the time. To redeem the time is to let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you. Okay? As a matter of fact, yesterday when I was walking around the Oregon Duck Austin Stadium facility, there's a lot of people, 65,000 people. It's kind of warm. And, all, you know, and I, I found myself wearing a shirt that said Jesus is real, but from time to time, my face didn't imply that he was. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just walking around. I was like, oh, wait a minute. You know, I got smiling. You know, I got I to gotta just come back to reality. And I'm a servant of God and a lover of people. And ah, it's fun. Life becomes fun. So Jesus, through Paul, warns us. says, hey, be careful. Walk circumspect. Look around. The devil, he'll trick you. He will come at you. He will not stop until you go to heaven. So be careful. And don't be unwise, but be wise. How? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, I just need to just see the warning here. He says things are gnarly. And they're going to get gnarlier. They're going to get weirder. And so we need to, the, the church, Christians, need to be ready and willing to redeem the time. And when he says time, he's not, it could imply minutes of every day, hours, and all the rest. It could imply like the seconds on the hand of the clock. But what it's really implying in the, in the Greek, if you would, is it's saying redeem the time, the, the era you live in, the season of your life right now. You realize that the season of your life right now will not always define you, okay? It, it will change. Things will change about you. Redeem this season. If you're single here tonight, I'm a single person, man. Guess what? You probably won't always be single. You might be, but you probably won't be. So redeem that time in this season. So when you look back, it's like, yeah, straight up redeem that. Or maybe you're a young married couple and you're just working things out. Redeem that time because you won't always be a young married couple. You'll grow and things will be different. Or maybe you just had kids and these kids are... Ah, you know, <laughs> redeem that time. You're not always going to have young kids. They're going to grow. They're going to move out. And just whatever season you're in, maybe you're an employer with, em with employees. That's a big responsibility. Redeem that. Maybe you're an employee with an employer and you want to work for him. We'll see that in verse chapter six. It's awesome. And I don't know about you, but occasionally I just, I get tired. I get weary. I get usually selfish. I don't want to redeem the time. I just want to go to Fred Meyer's and get my avocados and go home. I don't want to talk to anybody. And the Lord whispers to me and says, hey, YOLO, you only live once. Go there, get your avocados, you'll be fine, but I got somebody I want you to talk to. 
okay? And they're not in the avocados, they're in the, they're in the tomatoes, you know? I got to go over there and you're going to pray for them. I, 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 I hesitated there because the avocados and tomatoes are right next to each other. So anyways, you know, just let the Lord use you. Keep reading with me and let's see what he says. He says, verse 17, therefore do not be unwise. He's kind of saying the same thing over and over, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, don't blow it. Don't, don't just walk around not knowing what God's will is. Can I just exhort you here? Maybe you're an expert at something, okay? I consider myself an enthusiast of many things. I love certain things, whether it's a sports team or a, a sport. I coach soccer. I coach wrestling. love CrossFit. I love to work out. And I'm kind of an enthusiast in these things. I kind of like these things. And he says, know what the will of the Lord is. Understand it. And don't raise your hand, but how many of you sought to understand something in life? Whether it's fly fishing or hunting or, or, or cross-stitching or Sudoku or I'm just going to be the best at this. And I, I get that. He says, that's fine, but make sure you're also the best at knowing God's will. Okay? Don't be distracted by other things that are going to be temporary. Okay? Discern what God's will is. Let me give you three ways how you're going to know God's will. Number one and primarily is through this book. Okay? God's heart, God's will, God's word is for you to know and to understand and to discern. And when you're looking for direction, please let this be the first place you go. In a soft heart, go to God's word, know it. I actually know when my heart is hard because I don't want to go to the book. I'm just going to figure this out. I think I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put my head down, tail up, and make. And listen, go to the book. Go to, and the second way that God shows you his will is through his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit will speak to you in accordance with what the word says. And you'll find the Holy Spirit confirming what you've read in the Psalms or maybe in a story in David's life or maybe through 2 Peter and you can read that tonight and just get fired up and the Lord will show you through his spirit what he's spoken to you through his word and oh, this is so good. And the last place you can get confirmation of God's will, understand God's will, is through not just his word, not just his spirit, but his bride, okay? That's the church. The men and the women that God's given to you to submit one to another. We'll see that in verse 21. As he's given people, his bride. Husbands, you've seen this, where God actually speaks to you through your bride, where God encourages you or confirms in you what you feel the Lord's speaking. So too, God uses his bride, the church, to speak his heart through his spirit confirmed in his word. And I would just say, look, James, Jesus' little brother, said, don't go anywhere. Don't buy anything. Don't sell anything and don't work for anyone. What you should rather do is ask if it's the Lord's will to go places, to buy things, to sell things, and to work for people. He said, if it's God's will, I want to know God's will in this acquisition, in this proposition, in this opportunity. Is it God's will that I go to college? Is it God's will that I date this person? Right now, as a matter of fact, if you're dating anybody here tonight, just ask God, is this your will? Okay? And if you're like, ah, I don't really want to know God's will. <laughs> Something's up. Something's up. And you say, well, I'm going to just listen to the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, I'll, I'll ask his bride. I'll ask the church what they think. Well, you know. Listen, God's faithful to guide you and direct you. Ask him what he wants. I, I want to move here. I want to go there. And God will give you the peace that passes understanding if it's his will. I just love the peace of God, don't you? Okay. When there's peace from God in your life, most likely, by and large, in accordance with God's will and his bride, if there's peace, you're probably doing exactly right. Things are just legit. If there's some sort of angst and upsetness within, okay, just kind of stop and just wonder, whoa, where'd the peace go? When the peace leaves the building, you might should leave too. You know what I'm saying? You, you're in a situation that maybe things are getting outside of his will. And it might not be that it's a sin, but it's just foolish. Well, he goes on now, and this will be the last kind of thought for the night. He says, and do not, now that you're a saint, now that you're a Christian, now that you're on the team, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We talked about this three weeks ago with the postcard snapshot, the six things to do, the six things not to do, and I told you, I promised you, we'd take, this, take you through this course, kind of on a horse-drawn buggy and get the whole thoughts, and here's the deal. He says, hey, you're a human being. You're a passionate person. And he says, careful. Walk circumspectly and don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. It'll just kind of make everything weird. But instead, with your passion and your purpose, be filled. Be stoked. Be excited. God wants you to be excited and stoked and filled more than you do. So he's provided himself to do just that. But he warns us because of the counterfeits that are available for you and I to do just that, to, to be filled, to find ourselves taking care of ourselves, whether it's what he prescribes here, which is the bottle, booze. He says, don't get drunk. But we do it in all sorts of other ways, too. 
with overeating or overwatching TV or over technology or we do all kinds of things with pills and we can smoke stuff, we can inject stuff. There's all kinds of things that will bring us under the power and the pleasure of something else other than what he tells us to do, which is the Holy Spirit. And he says, man, get fired up. There's no high like the most high. Go to Jesus. Go to the Holy Spirit. That's where I want you to go with your passions, your hurts, and your wants is from him. Now, let's just talk about this whole alcohol thing because it doesn't say don't drink. Did you notice that? It says don't be drunk. In this conversation, let's just have an open conversation about alcohol, have you noticed that there are uh, many opinions Okay, all kinds of opinions, and, and there are also many experiences. Everyone's got a different experience, like this, my experience is different than yours, which now leads to my opinion that is different than yours. Opinions and experiences, but there's also, you can't argue, much damage and trauma that has happened based around alcohol. So there is a general confusion and a, a non-consensus in this area of alcohol. Is it right? Is it wrong? How does it look right? How does it look wrong? What's the deal? So I'm going to take you through, again, last two weeks I said, here's the deal about drinking. Uh, drinking isn't a sin, unless you're underage, okay? That's one thing, and then it's a sin. And drinking isn't a sin, unless you're getting drunk, <laughs> then, then it's a sin. And drinking isn't really even a sin, unless you are also causing somebody else to stumble. And in those three, very easy to understand and memorize and walk through, those three things should be able to tell you when it's right to drink and when it's right to not drink. If you're causing somebody to stumble, or if you're kind of prone to want to drink a little more than you should, and red flags are going up, what's going on here in your heart, or if you find yourself breaking the law to do so. I'm going to give you a few more uh, thoughts for you to think through, because again, there's so much confusion and so many different ideas here. Okay, there's three main camps that you may have found yourself being a part of. Maybe you grew up in a home that has a very normal relationship with alcohol. No one got drunk, no one abused anybody, no one lost the, the house, no one went, got a DUI, it's just very normal. You went to a religious establishment that didn't really teach it or, or prohibit it, and you're just kind of a normal kind of middle ground person. Or maybe you grew up in a family or in an environment where there was much pain and sadness. There was lots of disappointment and lots of th scary things because of alcohol. And to you, it's like, what are you even talking about? This is horrible. I stay away from that stuff. It's very addictive in my family. And you have all these experiences. So let me teach you out of a book um, called God Gave Wine. Uh, if you want to read it, you can find a PDF online. And uh, here's the three main stances that you might find yourself having at least been a part of or deciding where you're going to stand tonight. The first one is the prohibitionist stance. This is the person who prohibits drinking altogether because you believe it's a sin. It's an absolute sin to drink, and it's a prohibitionist stance, which I believe is the most unbiblical stance you can come up with out of these three, because the Bible doesn't say that drinking is a sin. The Bible doesn't say that drinking is a sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible records and even instructs drinking in many occasions in the Old Testament and the New Testament as worship unto God, as a celebration, as joyous between God and his people in the right way, at the right time, with the right people, and in the right amount, just like that. So it's not prohibited. As a matter of fact, if you think that alcohol, to touch it, is a sin, then when Jesus said in Matthew 28, I will not drink of the vine again until I return, what you're saying is, is that because he had drank of the vine previously, he sinned, and in doing so, he can't be the whole savior that he is. So it's really kind of a, a dirty little rabbit trail you're providing for yourself when you say that it's an absolute sin to drink. It's not, but there are some parameters that we would find ourselves being very um, safe in adopting. So I don't believe in the prohibitionist stance or camp, but the second camp is more of a camp that I would line up with from time to time. That's the abstentionist camp. This is the camp that says it's not a sin to drink, but I have chosen, not because of the law, but I have chosen because of love to abstain from drinking. I, I just, I don't do it because I love God, I love you, I love my neighbors, I just, I, I, I feel my liberty is not worth the, the compromise that this may lead to, and for a certain season or for a certain reason, I'm just going to abstain. Okay, maybe it's a month at a time, maybe it's a year at a time, maybe it's a relationship. There's all kinds of reasons to be an abstentionist, not because of the law, but because of love, where you do this to, for, for various reasons and for various goals and various obvious reasons. And now that's, by, that's what the stance we've taken with this car show in South Beach with the abstentionist model, where we believe that God has given us liberty to enjoy alcohol in that way, in those perfect parameters, the right time, right place, right right way and right levels, but we've chosen, you know what, it's not worth it. We're going to have the rogue there pouring sodas because that's not the message we're trying to portray. That's not what we're leading with here. And we, won't, and we honestly don't want people to stumble. 
We don't want people who are struggling, who have found themselves dealing with real hard times with alcohol to be confused or tempted in that way. So that's the abstentionist model. And uh, you might be in that camp tonight, and you may, should be in that camp tonight. If you're a leader, if people are looking to you, if you find yourself causing others to stumble, it's just a, it's a, it's a good place to go, and it's worshipful. It's out of love where you say, I'm setting this down for a greater cause. The third camp would be the moderationist. Okay, the moderationist, and this is super biblical and where most people find themselves, that if it's the right place with the right time and the right people and in the right way, I can have a drink in moderation. But all those parameters got to be there. Your attitude, your heart's got to be right, your intention needs to be right, your situation needs to be right. Everything needs to be in check. And I'm going to be honest. He, he led us into this verse saying, be careful. <laughs> don't be unwise. <laughs> be careful. And he's saying, don't be a fool as he leads us into this because alcohol is a very slippery slope, straight up. And you might be in denial here tonight and say, well, maybe for you or maybe. Listen, it is. It's just straight up. It is. And so it's not without much warning that the scriptures detail and teach about alcohol consumption. I would say this. If you ever want to drink just one or whatever, the heart of the issue is not how big your drink is, what vintage it is. Is it a microbrew or is it, you know, a... A different, it's not, the heart of the issue is an issue of your heart. Where's your heart? Right then, when you're making that decision. Really, the heart of every issue is an issue of the heart every time. Oh, I want to check Facebook again. Why? Uh, I, I'm addicted to likes and comments and shares. I want to see. That's why. Oh, okay. Well, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. Oh, I want to check the weather again. Why? Well, I'm a control freak. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. Well, you just checked it. I know, but I want to know again. It changes. It changes. It can't change without my permission. Whatever. The heart of every issue is an issue of your heart. I'm going to check my bank account again. Well, didn't you check this morning? Yeah, I just want to see if if I'm getting robbed right now. I want to see if I'm getting robbed, you know, and you're logging in, you know. Listen, whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to do next, whatever, just let the Lord check your heart. Check your heart. And if you want to go to the bottle or you want to go to that thing, whatever it is, and it's to cope or to mask, or to run, or to heal, or to hide, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't sell out. Don't do it. Be careful. Be careful. The devil wants to take you down a road you don't want to go, especially as it pertains to alcohol. And so there's the prohibitionist side, which again says it's a sin. Not, that's not what the Bible teaches. The abstinent, abstentionist side is very safe and says, you know what? Why even do, Why mess? Why even mess? I'm just going to stay away from this. I want to stay clear-minded, straight, focused, and ready for the Lord. But the moderationist says, you know what? From time to time, in the right place, right people, in the right way, in the right levels, I'm going to go ahead and have liberty and enjoy this with the Lord. And my heart's got to be in check. If it's not, I'm in trouble. Here's five final thoughts on alcohol, and then we're going to talk about the spirit. Number one, again, all drunkenness is a sin, period. Just, I don't care how you frame it. I was on vacation. I was in Mexico. You know, it's all, all drunkenness is a sin. Just bring it to the Lord. It's a forgivable sin. Praise God. He'll, he'll, he deals with people. He gets you wherever you're at. You know, you sin and you're on God's team. He'll, he'll, he'll come over to you and he'll grab your face mask and crawl inside with you and have communion. And he'll, he'll meet you right where you're at. It's awesome. He's your coach. He loves you. And he'll take you on to the winning season. It's just the way it is. It's so good. Second thought. The Bible is absolutely crystal clear that when you consume too much alcohol or alcohol in an unbiblical way, every sort of sin is directly thereafter, just the way it is. Every sort of sin, immoral sin, sexual sin, wrath and anger sin, violent sin, uh, all kinds of stewardship sins. You could lose your car, your license. You could lose your health. You could lose your family. You could lose your house. You could lose your job. The Bible is very clear that when this activity of too much drinking, the whole thing, and the book of Proverbs talks about the guy that drinks too much. His eyes are red. He's all messed up. He wakes up and doesn't know who hit him. You know, it just kind of describes this. The Bible's clear on that. Third, alcohol has addictive properties, okay? Paul said it this way. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. Some are foolish and a waste of time. And I will not be brought under the power of any. Alcohol has an addictive property to it. I talked to a guy today who is addicted to nicotine. And he said, he said I, do, I chew and I smoke. Does that make me a bad person? And I said, no, you were a bad person before you did that stuff. I said, you're thinking this through all wrong, you know? I said, that stuff just shows that you're bad in that way. You were already bad. You stop that stuff, you're still bad. You, you need, you, it's, a, it's a core issue. But I said this. And he said, well, if I keep chewing and keep dipping and, or keep smoking, is that, is that gonna, what's that going to do? I said, well, you're addicted. You're in chains. You're in bondage. You can't stop. 
until you stop. And Paul said, all things are permissible, which means it's total liberty, total liberty. But he said, but not all things are profitable. <sighs> Man, I was thinking of some other kind words. Don't, not, all, not all things are good for you. And then he capped it off and saying, and don't be brought under the power of anything. If you're addicted to that show or addicted to that relationship or addicted to that thought process or addicted to that app or addicted to this, this thing you do once per year, you can't live without it. I do it once per year, whatever it is. Bring it into subjection to the Lord and say, I don't, I don't want anything to come in between you and me. I'm just going to let this go. Uh, alcohol is very addictive, so be careful of that. Number, number four, you got to submit to the rulers around you, both the judicial system and the familial system that you live with. Okay? Don't be a weirdo. Okay, when it comes to alcohol, okay, obey the law. You, you can't drink if you're under 21. You can't buy alcohol for people that are under 21. If you have a drink or two or whatever, you don't drive. There's all kinds of, just don't break the law. But also don't break the familial law or your civil law with the people you're, you love, your wife or your husband. They should know exactly where you stand on this and you should honor them. Your family should be tight and protected. Maybe your employer, your boss or friends, you have this kind of, hey, let's not do that anymore. And you should honor them and not do that or change the rules honor the people don't be a weirdo and a deceiver and do, do funny stuff matter of fact i knew a pastor who uh, he's an abstentionist at this point not a prohibitionist but an abstentionist and he quit drinking altogether and he loves beer you just talk to him but but what he did he told me the story one time he had uh, a corona watching a football game packer game which you need a corona for sure and uh, i'm just kidding then he had a corona but he actually had two and his wife saw him drinking and said is that your first beer or second beer and out of his mouth he just said first and she walked off, and he thought, what the heck was that? I just lied to my wife. And he went and dumped it. I said, what is happening here? This is, it was just so simple. A beer and a half in. He just, and he said, I'm not, if, why would I hide that? Why would I? Why? And he just realized his heart was open. Okay, something's wrong here. I'm going to watch the Packers with a soda. <laughs> and he, I just love that honesty. Okay? I'm not trying to be a boss or a weirdo. I'm, I'm a student just as you guys are learning tonight, hopefully something I am too. And God has to be able to call me on my stuff and read my mail and get right into my business and say, how you doing, Luke? How's your heart? And get right into my helmet with me. Uh, number five, set a good example. Last thought about alcohol. Okay? Is what you're doing exemplary? Would you want other people to do exactly what you're doing? You, you've heard it said before that what parents do in moderation, kids will do in excess. I don't know if that's true or not. Okay? Sounds super scary. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> be, set an example. Set an example. People are looking at you, following you. Make sure you know what you're doing. I love this contrast he gives, though. He says, hey, you're going to be tempted to do all kinds of crazy stuff, but instead, be liberated to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. I want you to be so fired up. I want you to be so jazzed. I want you. Don't be deceived into counterfeits, but instead, be lit up with the Holy Spirit. And the imagery here of being filled is kind of like a sailboat in the water with its sail down. The wind is there. The power, the person, the presence of the Holy Spirit's there. It's not like you need to convince God to fill you. I just need you to know that. You don't need to earn and convince and wake up the Holy Spirit. There are certain camps out there that have kind of led us to believe that if we do the right thing and say the right prayers and have the right flags and do the right exercises that look like jazzercise and we say this, that we'll, we'll convince the Holy Spirit to fill us. The Holy Spirit needs no convincing to fill you. It's you that need convincing to be filled, Okay. He's good to go. Jesus said, it's better that I leave because he's going to show up and he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. The Holy Spirit is not just a, a force, although he does have power, but he's a person. And he loves you and he loves me. But you and I have these weird, wonky hearts. We get all messed up and we wonder, should I put my sail up? Should I be filled? Should I go to Fred Meyer and smile? Should I, should I redeem the time right now? You have a choice. It's not that the Holy Spirit's up there going, well, if you go in, I don't know if I want to. It's the Holy Spirit saying, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. It's you and me that have this crazy free will, rebellious side that we need to bring into subjection to him. And he just invites you to be filled. He says, wake up, walk in the light, walk in the light. Next time you have a hurt or, or a hindrance or some sort of hang up or depression or you're overwhelmed or anxious, I prayed for a gal today starting a new job next week. And she said, I just have this fear. It's overwhelming me. I said, oh man, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of the of power, love, and a sound mind. He's given to us himself to over, and you could do all kinds of things to overcome your fears. And he says, how about let me do it? How about let me overcome your hurts and your anxieties and your things? Go to me, press into me, put your sail up, and really to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to put it so simply, is to just repent of your own sins and your own opinions, and just, okay, to repent and to submit to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and say, you win, 
you take over. And all of a sudden, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's like wind, and he would blow, and he would take you where he wants you to go. It's really simple. Okay, don't be freaked out or weirded out, or I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Good. It's pretty easy. You just love him and worship him in that way. So I'm going to have the Holy Spirit, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit come up. <laughs> that's, that's better than the, the blunder I did at the second service. I'm going to have the worship team come up and lead us, and I'm going to have the Holy Spirit come up too. <laughs> And I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads. And if you just would just respond to him tonight. I know I've gone long, and I, I do apologize. Um, but I really believe that, that it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And you're worth it. And more, more than that, he's worth it. And I would just say, press into the heart of the Holy Spirit, even tonight. Decide tonight to, to be awake, to, to not slumber, to not go to those things that are less, whatever it is. And maybe you know it's less, but you don't want to give it up altogether. Redeem it. Bring Jesus with you. Make it amazing. Make it so fun. He'll guide you. Maybe you're in Pop Warner. Maybe you're in JV. Maybe you're a freshman. Maybe you're a varsity. Maybe you're in college ball. Maybe, I don't know what level of Christianity you're in. He, he'll, he loves you right there. And he'll take you even further. So with your eyes closed and heads bowed, we're going to respond by taking communion and worshiping Jesus. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for who you are and your patience with us, your love for us your adoption of us, your commitment to us. Lord, it's just so nuts. You're just so good, so thorough, so fun, so right. And Lord, as we prepare to take communion tonight, we do so just thankful for the gentle breeze that you bring, Lord, that wakes us up, for the alarm clock that goes off in our hearts that says, hey, awake, oh sleeper, awake, and let Christ give you light. If there's anybody here tonight who's maybe waking up to the things of God and is wondering about their life choices, Lord, I pray that they would look around, shake off the sleep, walk circumspectly, being wise, not unwise, redeeming the time, understanding your will, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that in Jesus' name. If that's you tonight, you just want more of the Holy Spirit, less of the ways of the world. Just start to whisper to the Lord right now. You do it. You just say, Lord, I want that. I want more, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. Lord, I want more of you. Take more of me. Just start to articulate your own prayer to the Lord tonight. Just reach out to him and say, Lord, if there's areas in my life I'm sleeping, just wake me up. Just ask him to wake you up even right now. Don't slumber through life. It's too short. It's too precious. And Jesus, we thank you for your death and your burial and your resurrection that gives us a new identity. We identify with you. And then you allow us and you encourage us and you exhort us and you command us to walk differently. And I thank you, Lord, for those who come to my mind right now, the servants of the church, Lord, the servants of the Most High, who've been changed from the inside out. And I see it. I see it. They're they're serving, denying themselves, wanting God's will and God's will alone. We worship you. We love you and we respond to you. We pray that this whole town, Lord, would just be blessed with the fruit that you produce in our lives. And we thank you so much, Lord. And we again celebrate this table of communion, asking you, Lord, to give us a heightened sensitivity that we, Lord, would not be calloused in our hearts or darkened in our minds, but instead sensitive. So tonight, even at the table, may it not be rote or religious, but may it be righteous and real. In Jesus' name, amen.